Hi, everyone. This is Patrick. And before we get to episode 220, I wanted to remind you about what's coming on January 3rd, 2018. Last year, I talked about how our theme for the year is going to be life, liberty, and property. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. It was one of my favorite ones to do. But we are going to use that first right, which is life. And that's where we're going to kick off for the first 120 days of the year, starting January 3rd. And the guest is amazing. So you don't want to miss that one. So make sure you mark your calendars uh, for January 3rd, 2018. This is the Wealth Standard Radio, your gold standard in everything financial. Hi, everyone. This is Patrick Donahoe, and you are listening to episode 220 of the Wealth Standard podcast. And I have one of my favorite people on this week, and his name is Connor Boyack. For those who have been listening to for a while, Connor's been on a few times. I absolutely love our, our conversations. And he has just come out with a, a new book, actually a couple of new books, but we're just specifically going to be talking about one, which is the Search for Atlas. And it's part of his Tuttle Twins series. Uh, these are uh, meant for kids. Uh, I wouldn't say children. It's not necessarily a children's book, but these are you know, 30, 40 page books, um, maybe not even that long, but they are really meant to illustrate some of the main themes themes of uh, some very influential books that have uh, been written in the past. Uh, but th- because of the, the nature of these books, sometimes it's really hard to derive the, the underlying message. So for instance, Atlas Shrugged is, you know, well over 1200 pages long. And, uh, and I think it's actually longer. And it is, it's a, it's a long read, but it's very philosophical. And there's a, it's, it's a, it's a novel. So there's a storyline to it. But what individuals typically pull out of that is, is, uh, is is conflicting, um, and and so Connor and his brilliance, being able to take a subject that has some complexity to it and break it down, uh, is is just a, it's a sign of genius. And so he's done that with uh, some books that I can mention. You know, the uh, the creature from Jekyll Island, which is also a very uh, long long book full of history uh, and data. Uh, also, uh, the Law by Frederick Bastier, uh, and uh, the 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 Magic Pencil, which is based on Leonard Reed's Eye Pencil, which is just just a fascinating, fascinating read, um, as well as you know, food truck fiasco, which was uh, actually he was uh, Connor, you know, is the president of the Libertas Institute, and he uh, lobbies the legislature here in Utah, and was actually able to um, defend the uh, the nature of food trucks because there were some you know restaurants that uh, were getting some business taken from them, and so uh, obviously they tried to uh, have laws passed that would give them uh, a, a competitive edge. Uh, but anyway, you know, this whole food truck fiasco was based on uh, the economics in one lesson by Henry Hazlitt. And uh, anyway, so this is uh, the the search for Atlas and the conversation I'm about to have with Connor is based on one of my uh, more favorite books, which is uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, uh, and specifically the philosophy there. Uh, it, uh, it it really, it, I've read it a few times. Now, I haven't actually read it in a few uh, few years, but it's, uh, it's one, of those, one of those books that makes you really think about you and your role in the world, uh, and, uh, and also the difference between a producer and a consumer. And, and that is where I really love, you know, I, I think paradoxes are fascinating to me where, you know, today you look at a society in which we are 
you know, blessed by capitalism because of the technology we have and the convenience and the lifestyle we live in comparison to those that, you know, lived a couple hundred years ago. And, uh, and it really comes down to some fundamental principles about how men or women behave. And, uh, and so Atlas Shrug, I think, portrays those characteristics and principles, um, in a, in a perfect way, but it also shows, you know, this, and it, and it may dramatize it, but it shows this, uh, you know, the dichotomy between, you know, the, the producer and the consumer. Uh, and uh, in the end, the more selfish person is the consumer, the one that wants to get more than they actually produce. Uh, and the, there's a tremendous amount of envy for those that produce more than they consume. Anyway, it's a fascinating conversation. You know, Connor, I wanted to get off into uh, some details. And, you know, Connor is very good about keeping the theme very simple uh, and uh, and kept me, kept me in check a few times. Uh, but I, what we're going to do is for those of you who... Um, do not have this book. It's actually brand new. We we purchased uh, uh, a number of copies. And so if you uh, would give us a, a positive review on iTunes and take a snapshot of that, we will send you off a free uh, Tuttle Twins Search for Atlas book. And uh, it, it probably is going to be uh, there in time for Christmas. And uh, especially if you get it out within the next uh, uh, next 24 hours, because we're approaching you know those crazy shipping times. Uh, but anyway, it's an awesome interview. Connor's amazing one of the uh, smartest guys I know. And I know you guys are going to enjoy uh, enjoy the podcast. Uh, and it is a perfect kind of uh, uh, tie-in to what I uh, went off and, and uh, did last week, which I hope you enjoyed as well. Uh, but with that being the case, I hope you guys enjoy episode 220 with the president of Libertas Institute, Connor Boyack. Okay, well, my guest today is the none other than Connor Boyack. Uh, Connor has been uh, on the show before, but we have um, some really cool things to talk about now because he's had a few books come out recently. Uh, one of which I was able to, you know, a few months ago see, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes and how they were uh, creating it. And so I'm, I'm super intrigued to see uh, what the response has been so far for the new Tuttle Twins book, which is the the Search for Atlas. Am I right, Connor? Is that the that's the title, right? That's, that's the right. Title. Tuttle Twins and the Search for Atlas. So this one, like our other books in the series, is based on an original book, uh, some other text. In this case, it's Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And so obviously we modify some things and adapt things, but really what we're doing like the other books is taking kind of the core ideas um, out of the, the book and weaving them into our own story. So it's not like the story is exactly like Atlas Shrugged or whatever, but there are many echoes. You can like for those who've read Atlas Shrugged and then you read the Tuttle Twins and the search for Atlas, you're definitely going to see, oh yeah, I get it. This is where they're incorporating that storyline and this is that character. Um, and so we definitely wanted to kind of incorporate those influences and those ideas so that young kids, we're talking age like five to 10, can begin to understand and at least be exposed to some of those key ideas that Ayn Rand was writing about. Why don't you talk, why don't you talk to that? Because you have, you have young kids and you know my kids have, I mean, I have a really young one and then I have you know, 13-year-old and 11-year-old. And you know, with all of your, your books, um, it's, you know, certain ones have resonated with my kids uh, differently. But with this one, I mean, why don't you talk to how it's resonated with, with your kids? Like, how do, you, how do you come up with the ideas? I would assume mm. you use your kids, but come up yeah. with the ideas around like, okay, here's this like, you know, insanely long treatise. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it, how do you boil that down into like a 30 page book right, for kids? I mean, I think right. that, like, there's a feat in and of itself. It, it, it's hard, honestly. Like I've written, I don't know, five or six books now for adults, just general market, you know, nonfiction stuff. And 
And those books, you know, like that's how I think. That's what I do day in, day out. And so you can just kind of write a book uh, in little chunks over time. And it, it's not that hard. I mean, it's, it's hard work. It's a lot of work, but it's not a, a complex task to really expend mm-hmm. mental energy figuring out how to do it. Writing a kid's book, oh my gosh, like it's, it's hard work because you have to sit down and say, well, how do I make this simple? but not so simple that it's not meaningful. Mm-hmm. And then once I figure out how to kind of simplify these important ideas, how do you make it fun? And then how do you make it relevant you know, to a kid's life? And then how do you make it interesting enough that they're going to want to read it more than once? You know, that, uh, there's so many layers that takes a while. So you're right to point out, at least in my case, my children are guinea pigs, free you know, child labor. And, and they love it, right? They love getting kind of the inside scoop before anyone knows. And then we'll do like other kids in our homeschool co-op perhaps, or we'll, you know, other s- strong supporters of the book series. I'll maybe send it around to some folks. Elijah, our illustrator, he'll you know, share it with his kids. Okay. And so we'll do a tiny bit of guinea pig testing just to say like, okay, what word didn't make sense? What concept was confusing? And so we'll kind of edit and, and go through that iteratively. In in this case, for the search for Atlas, you know what what are we talking about here, right? For those who haven't read Atlas Shrugged, uh, well, I'm just going to give you the simplified uh, ideas that we took from that book because there are many more that we had to leave on the shelf. Um, we're talking about uh, the importance of hard work, right? We're talking about being able to keep what you earn. Uh, we're talking about the value of of labor. Um, but that value is only based on other people's demand. Value doesn't er- generate just because you dug a big hole and you work really hard at it, right? If no one else perceives that there's value in what you're doing, then you know there's not going to be a transfer of value. No one's going to pay you or compensate you for digging that large hole. Well, it was a subjective so, theory of value. Yeah. Precisely, exactly. Yeah. And so we talk about uh, supply and demand. We talk about produ- uh, production versus consumption. If you think about the original Atlas Shrugged, you think about John Galt, and here was a producer who was you know, doing things that benefited society, moved it forward. And when he uh, left, when he departed uh, that society, things started crumbling because you had more consumers than you had producers. And when the producers up and quit, and you have the same level of consumption as before, that's when you know the problems set in. We talk about mooching. This is something that Ayn Rand talked about. That's that situation in which consumers are depending upon the producers to sustain their standard of living. We talk about the destructiveness of, of socialism. So all these ideas kind of intertwine in, in the story that we try and make you know fun and interesting. And I, I don't know, I mean, how we pull it off. In my mind, like this is almost an inspired project because I try and figure out how to do it. Elijah gives such great input in the story because he thinks he thinks about it from like a visual standpoint, right? Because a lot of kids are visual learners. Yep. And so how do we convey these ideas in a way that will allow him to illustrate them in a way that the visual learners are gonna, you know, remember it? And so he gives a lot of good input. And we end up coming with some blend you know, blended approach that that really works. I mean, I'm I'm honestly really floored a lot of times that we hear from these parents that are just like Look, my kid hates reading, but they read your books over and over. Or all my daughter will ever read is princess books, and I've you know tried to get her to read other stuff, but now she's hooked on Tuttle Twins. And so I don't know. We've got some sort of winning combination. And here's my theory. My theory is kids don't like being treated like kids. Kids like being treated as older kids or adults. And so the fact that in these books we introduce complex ideas, adult ideas. Um, albeit in a, a language and a delivery format that is appealing to them. 
I think they glom onto it because they like, they feel mature in figuring these ideas out. They, they understand that they're kind of punching above their weight. And so that's what I think attracts kids to these books. And the benefit in doing that is that um, you're engaging them in content that is extremely influential, uh, personally meaningful, insightful. This is powerful economic you know, type theory and, and ideas that these kids are really resonating with at a young age. So so this latest book, you know, things have gone well so far. We've sold a bunch. It's been phenomenal. In terms of like the early testing that we did, you know, my kids, the other kids we did, they they seem to get it. They understand, you know, like I always laugh that when you think of maybe libertarianism, but even like Austrian economics and stuff, it, it very much boils down to lessons that we learned as kids. You know, don't hurt other people. Don't take their stuff, right? Uh, go pull your own weight. If you want something, go earn it. And it's later in life that society encumbers upon us all these exceptions to those rules. Oh, well, that, that doesn't apply if this or, oh, well, no. You know. and, and so really, we're just validating these lessons that a lot of parents are already teaching their kids. And I would say, and, and I would maybe push on that because I think it, it's one of those things where our, I mean, the kids, that are, the parents that are buying this book, yes, I totally agree. But I would, I would say that you know, with, with my experience, this isn't necessarily the, the widely held belief of parents where, you know, they even understand the, uh, the original works, you know, around, you know, your, your books. I mean, I know you've written, you know, the, the road to serfdom, the, mm-hmm. the free to kayaks, you know, the road to serfdom, but you've also, you know, the, the magic pencil, um, yep. The what are the other ones? Economics the, uh, in one lesson. The truck uh, fiasco, which is the that's the, the economics in yeah. one lesson by Hazlitt, right? Creature it's, from it's those, like, These are books that like they're they're not in the they're not in the mainstream, and so that that's where you know I would say have you have you had parents that were you know maybe they hey, they hadn't read some of the original works, but yet they picked this up and it not only resonated with their kids but resonated with them. Oh, no, uh, absolutely. In fact, I would say that the majority of our customers are that way. When we first started writing the book series, we thought our core audience were the people that were familiar with the original books, right? So we went down to Freedom Fest in Vegas after we published our first book, which is based on The Law by Frederick Bastiat. Phenomenal essay or booklet. And we thought, hey, here's all these people. They've read the original. They're going to want this version for their kids. Exactly. And you know, we sold a bunch, got a lot of interest. It It was all well and good. But by the time we got our second book done, I realized that that was not our audience. Hmm. You know, those those people definitely were of a like mind. They wanted to get their uh, children or grandchildren these books. But then I realized, you know, not very many people have read these original works. There's like way more people who've never heard of Leonard Reed or Frederick Bastiat or whatever. And so I realized that we needed to pivot in how we marketed this that, look, parents, we're just teaching important civic and economic ideas to your children that they're school curriculum is not going to expose them to or not going to introduce them to. And every parent wants a well-rounded education for their child. And so when we position it that way, we get a ton of support. You know, a lot of homeschooling families, but even normal run-of-the-mill, conservative, moderate, whatever, public school families who the parents just want to introduce these ideas to their children. And yes, you you honed in on exactly what we found by accident. This was not intentional. You know, we thought, oh, we're going to do these children's books. We're going to educate all these people. The accident was later realizing that we are educating both the adult, uh, both the child and the adult because the adult sits down to read with their kids. The adults never heard of the original book. They're maybe not familiar with the issues. And here, rather than giving them a big, thick textbook, right? Or like, you know, Human Action by Ludwig von Mises, 
So it's not just a textbook. It's like, yeah, you, gotta, you need to... That's like a life work just to read that thing, right? <laughs> and so these books are dry. They're hard to understand, right? They take a lot of intellectual stamina to build up in order to get through them. Here we have a fun, short book, fully illustrated, beautiful drawings. It's fun. It's silly. And yet at the same time, we're introducing all these key ideas. That is a very disarming approach to reach not only the kids, but the adults well. And so it's been very fascinating to see that develop. You are exactly right. And that's now the majority of our, of our customers. Now, I would say, you know, as you, as you look at uh, this book, right, with, with Atlas Shrugged, I mean, I, w- I would consider the, you know, the, the book that, that the Search for Atlas is based on is, is one of those, it's one of those books where it created a, a tremendous amount of uh, disruption at that at that time, especially because of the author being from uh, the former Soviet Union, and uh, then you look at you know really uh, it's still I would consider you know very uh, very uh, controversial uh, as it relates to just kind of the social the social theory associated with just what what uh, you know what our society is based on, and that's where I look at you know as I, I think back I haven't read the book uh, Atlas Shrugged in, in a couple of years, but as I as I look back on it. Um, I would say that there's a, a distinguishing factor that individuals really don't uh, grab a hold to, uh, which is you know the the idea of what should drive uh, man, right? What should drive humankind, uh-huh. and uh, and that was you know kind of the the uh, the, the the archetype of uh, John Galt, where it exemplified that uh, that producer, um, and and then you know, but it was based on this idea of of selfishness. Okay, where they use that word several times, and then she wrote, you know, another kind of philosophical book called the the virtue of selfishness. But I but I would say as as you look at you know the that that uh, portrayal of uh, of of, uh, of initiative or um, motivation in society, it's not considered you know moral. But at the same time, you know, Rand spent her entire life arguing that it was the the you know epitome of of morality. So. Is that does that uh, does that narrative come up in the in the book or or do you know or do you just kind of go do you just talk about it subtly? I mean, yeah. Why don't you yeah. why don't you talk to that? That's a great question because Ayn Rand had many um, what you might legitimately call, I think, extreme views, uh, both for her time and for ours. Whether they're correct or not, I, I think it is safe to say that relative to the mainstream, you know, her views were more on the extreme side. And um, you know, she got into really the the uh, morality of of sexuality, right? Like the very sexually strong, almost like using one another for your self gratification, and then throwing the person aside. Like it's this very uh, some might call it a very kind of selfish or even perverse, you know, sexual approach to intimate relationships. She had the whole objectivist philosophy. Of course, there are many followers today in objectivism. Uh, pursuing that same philosophy, the virtue of selfishness. And so it's not that there's not merit to these things. Some of them are very interesting. I think me personally, um, I, I agree in part with um, many of the things that that she writes on those more extreme sides. But again, because these books are introductory, because they're marketed to a broader audience to bring them in, we're not writing a book for Ayn Rand fans to give to their kids. We're writing a book for every child out there to learn, you know, about the importance of hard work, personal responsibility, working for your, you know, producing what you need to consume, uh, the destructiveness of socialism. Like these are ideas that are universal. You don't have to believe in objectivism or not. So we touch on it a little bit, cool. right? In our in our case, Atlas, like I at least want to introduce it, but it's not like we explicitly say 
you know, selfishness is fantastic. You're all lazy bums. That's right. I, yeah, I had to. I had to laugh. Salon wrote an article recently attacking the book, saying that we're basically teaching uh, libertarians about a capital, little libertarians about a capitalist nightmare, and that anyone who you know, who is this? This is Salon, the the progressive left wing online oh, yeah. website, yeah. and so they said that we were decrying our opponents as like uh, lazy you know, bums who can't, you know, work for themselves. Of course, they hadn't read the book. They're just going off of the pictures that they saw. But they're assuming, yeah. They're assuming, right? And so in our book, we introduced this Atlas character. He's like the John Galt Galt type, excuse me. And he quits the circus. Um, And so uh, all of a sudden, and the circus starts falling apart because he was the producer. He was the main star. He would help everyone do their jobs. So people had come to depend on him. And uh, But then they were also envious of his perks. They were very critical of the perks that he had earned because of his very hard work to become as strong as he was. And um, and so he got fed up one day and he quit. And so the premise of the book, the search for Atlas is, you know, these twins, they have to figure out, they become part of the circus. So they win, you know, tickets on the radio and they get to be, you know, a circus in the, or clowns in the traveling circus for a little bit. So they're immersed in this environment when all of a sudden Atlas quits. He disappears, okay. And he disappears. And so they have to figure out, well, not only where is he, but when we find him, um, you know, how do we, what's his, what's his concern? What's the problem? Who's right? Because they're, they're the other clowns are kind of the socialists. Your listeners will appreciate that uh, the main clown uh, in the book, we named him Kruge after Paul Krugman. Paul Krugman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> and so we wanted to kind of epitomize there the kind of central planning <laughs> came from philosophy. And, oh, don't worry. Everything will be fine. Let's keep the circus going. You know, we all have value. We all matter. That, you know, we all are a part of the circus. It'll keep going. And so we introduced those arguments through Kruge and the other clowns who are kind of the socialist side. And then they start, the twins, the Tuttle twins start hearing the other side from some of the other characters. So they, they're kind of caught in the middle trying to figure out well, who's right and why. They both seem like they have, you know, legitimate arguments. So they finally find Atlas. Atlas makes his case and explains that, yeah, so this is where we get to the selfishness. You had asked about if we're introducing you know, that. And so Atlas begins to talk about the struggle that he had, that he felt undervalued. He was working very hard. Everyone was basically uh, feeling entitled um, and you know, uh, demanding things that they did not uh, deserve. And so he got fed up and he quit. And so the twins then try and correct the problem and bring Atlas back and save the day and all that. But the whole point is here that Atlas had a legitimate complaint and it was centered around the idea that he deserved the things that he earned. Um, what's interesting is the complaint against Atlas, as it is uh, in many of Ayn, uh, Ayn Rand's works, is that selfishness is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. The clowns do allege that Atlas was being selfish by wanting all these perks you know, for himself. What's interesting is later in the book, we have Atlas turn the tables and say that, no, what, what the clowns don't realize is that they are the selfish ones. They're the ones who are demanding things for themselves that they did not earn and do not deserve. That mm-hmm. is the you know, maybe negative approach to selfishness where they're saying, me, me, me. Uh, whereas the Ayn Rand, the virtue of selfishness is more, look, I've earned this. You know, It's my right. I'm entitled to this because it's the product of my labor and genius and so forth. So maybe kind of a diverging definition based on if it's kind of the selfish entitlement, selfish... Uh, selfishness or kind of the productive selfishness of, you know, I've earned this and so I'm going to enjoy it. Well, if you look at, yeah. And I think the, I think the example in, in the, in Atlas Shrugged, the novel is the, uh, is the 21st century motor company. 
And in that whole charade where, you know, the, the kids took over and, and, uh, it was the, uh, to each according to his ability from each accord or from each according to their need or for each according to their need or whatever it's. And, and that's, it's one of those things where I would, I would say that, you know, that that is one of those controversial subjects that's in society where, you know, there's this, there's this expectation of the success of those who have produced uh, to you know be be given to those who uh, who haven't and so as as you've you know ran this by your children and other kids and whatever the response uh, has been like what is the you know what is their interpretation of it are they able to acknowledge that there are you know there are aspects of society where there's this you know demand for the the wealthy or the producers to impart of you know their substance to others i mean how do you how do you address that that narrative because i would say that you know there's this you know capitalism versus altruism argument right. that's throughout you know all of ayn rand's uh tr- treatises and, and novels and and other books mm-hmm. like how do you how have you how do you have have you addressed that with with kids specifically because it's kind of a it's an easy to understand concept right well right you get what you produce and those that, you know, haven't produced don't get, but in society, there's this narrative that that's like not the right thing. Right. It's a great question. Um, I'll answer it uh, um, this way. And that is, uh, it's a 60 page book. (laughs) That's like two thirds full of illustrations. So our challenge is that we only have, you know, the attention span of a young child to a certain degree. We pack in so much information and new terms and ideas the, the whole purpose here, my, my goal with this series is not to introduce every argument and pack a cram full of yeah. everything possible. So in this specific case, no, right? We did okay. not get to that degree. But the, the whole idea here is that these books for a parent are conversation starters. Yeah. Right? We've heard so many examples now where a dad is like, look, I, I love this because we've had so many amazing dinner conversations now about these ideas and, and they have context, right? Because they've kind of read this story that's similar. And so as I introduce this other concept, perhaps the one that you bring up, a parent can connect it to a story that the child understands. But it might be longer down kind of the idea idea train where if you don't introduce some of those like higher, very you know, rational type of uh, ideas, then it's hard to get into something that may be construed as you know more controversial, right? Yeah, I mean, line upon line, right? So we'll start with the basic stuff, and then a, a wise, you know, astute parent who gets these ideas can mm-hmm. build upon that in their own conversations. Now that we've given kind of the foundation to to be built on, that's really cool. Yeah, the whole idea of you know producers and consumers. I mean, it's such a it's, it's so awesome. You've taken, I mean, there's so much in that book. There's so many amazing speeches, so many incredible stories and ideas, but how you've kind of boiled it down to, you know, the, the simplistic. And, uh, and I would say that, yeah, if you really are able to yeah, get into this just simple definition of what a producer is and what a consumer is and what the end result uh, of, of those two roles are, it, that's, uh, that I would say is a, is a big, is a big win. So, I mean, let me give you a specific example. If I'm a parent and I'm trying to introduce current events to my kids or whatever, I'm going to look at the, the current tax proposal being floated around through Congress and all of the hysteria that is around how much money the rich are going to be getting in tax breaks and so forth. And that the you know, low and middle class, like, oh, we deserve more of a break. When you look proportionally, well, the tax are, you know, the rich are taxed at a way higher rate. And so, of course, if there's going to be a tax reduction, 
they're going to proportionally enjoy a higher return because they've been paying more money, right? And so here I can use, for example, the Tuttle Twins and the Search for Atlas to say, look, just like in the circus, you had Atlas and the clowns and they were uh, uh, the clowns were envious of what Atlas had produced. They wanted you know, the spoils of his you know, production and so forth. And so I can break down this current event in terms of, of what happened in the book and suddenly introduce current events and politics and uh, even you know, modern economics to my children based on the story you know, that they understand. And so that's the whole idea here is it's a conversation starter. It's not the end-all be-all. And that's why at the end of our books, we, we point the readers and especially the parents to the original text. So like, hey, if this you know, intrigues you, you've got older kids or maybe yourself, you, know, you can go learn more about these ideas in, in this case, Atlas Shrugged. And so we're not trying to like, you know, expound on everything. It's more just let's get the conversations going with a younger audience where traditionally parents have you know, been very shy, very reluctant to introduce these ideas. And I think that's to our detriment because then we let society imprint those young uh, people. And, you know, with their ideas, not necessarily the ones that are, that are sound. Exactly. Yeah. And I would say, you know, if you look at really the, what, what steered me, I mean, I got to do, I got a formal education in economics, which doesn't mean anything, but as I <laughs> really started to, you know, get into theories after I was you know graduated, but got into theories of works that have been around for such a long time, but I would say ideas that have been around for such, for such a long time. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of those are, you know, the, the, the Tuttle Twins books, uh, whether it's economics uh, in, in one lesson or I pencil and it, but it's, it's, and I think it's becoming more, uh, more popular that these books are getting out there, that the philosophy is, uh, is getting out there. But I think this is a different angle because you're right. Even those parents that do hold some of these beliefs, being able to have conversations with an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old or a 10-year-old, uh, it's, very, it's very difficult. And, and so you're right. It kind of becomes this, well, do I try to introduce it now or do I wait till later on when they're, you know, uh, you know more, they can understand it. They're more, you know, astute as far as their understanding is concerned. But, I, but it's one of those, like, the, this is a perfect way, perfect way to do it. But I would say at the same time, it's a great way, as you've done, to introduce it to, uh, to parents. Because mm-hmm. when someone hears a book on economics or a book called The Law, it's, it's one of those, like, well, you know, Harry Potter seems a lot more attractive to read than that. <laughs> but, it's, it, but it becomes, you know, really this understanding that our, our entire framework of society, uh, I would say, has, has always been governed by certain principles and certain and certain laws. And it's been that way since the beginning of time. And I would say, you know, the governing bodies, whether it's, you know, the, the monarchies of old or if it's, you know, what you know, we consider a democracy or what some republic and what some consider a democratic republic, it's like th- these ideas, like they're words, but really the, the understanding of those ideas, I would say, uh, are, 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 are not there. And I would, and this is why I'm, you know, I've, I've wanted you to come on so often is that, you know, really introducing ideas to kids. It really helps parents as well grasp some of the uh, fundamental concepts so that they can then go out and learn more and see how that applies to, you know, their profession, to their, uh, you know, I don't want to call it civil duty, but their role in, in society um, and, and defend a lot of those principles that, you know, have been around for a really, really long time, uh, but at the same time are not the popular, it's not the popular opinion, I would say. I, I think of it this way uh, to, to kind of build on what you were just saying. The analogy that I'll sometimes use is that of like a gardener in an orchard. 
Um, and and this gardener, this uh, I don't know if there's a specific name for someone who tends an orchard other than a gardener. So I'm going to use that word, and and I could be incorrect. But he's tending to all these trees, right? These adult trees, and they're diseased and decaying. They're not bearing much fruit. The fruit isn't that good. That's the state that we're in today. The gardener is organizations like mine that historically have been focused on adults. We've been reaching out to adults, trying to persuade adults who are you know, decades into being seeped in bias and misinformation and poor logic and faulty ideas because that's how they were raised. That's how they were nurtured. And so getting someone to change, I mean, it's like we're dumping fertilizer on all these adult trees, hoping that it brings them back to good health. And, and hey, that's important. We got to do it, right? That's why we're out educating voters and talking to people and, and persuading people. And, and it works, right? To some degree, you have a few trees come back to good health, start bearing good fruit. Yeah, we're a, right now, and we can maybe end on, end on these points, but you know, right now we're, you know, as a as a company, we're working toward you know the end of the year, and we're preparing to you know set our our 2018 you know goals and initiatives and and so forth, um, and and we're you know I had a book that uh, that I got everybody to to read, uh, but I've also been you know talking to them about you know this idea of producer and and consumer, which is a which is a common theme here. But imagine, you know, imagine a world in where people went around and they found ways to be of value to, to other people, which I think is, you know, one of those, those easy fundamental narratives of, uh, of Atlas Shrugged. Uh, it would be a different world. But I think right now it's the, it, it tends to be the opposite sometimes, especially as we come to Christmas where there are those that, you know, they, they, they love getting. But I would say for you know, the understanding of giving or producing value, it's one of the most, you know, gratifying things that, uh, that, you, can, that you can do. Uh, and as far as kids are concerned, I mean, uh, your, yours probably do a lot better job than, than mine, but it really helps them to see things different where, you know, it has kind of become a material society where they want this and they want this and they want this. But it's also really awesome to see when they're able to, to, to understand like this thing, right? This toy or whatever that, you know, it, uh, it was conceptualized and then it was brought into uh, production. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's that idea, but it's also the other side of it, which is being able to, uh, you know, produce something for the well-being of, uh, of others. But it's one of those, yeah, it's a, it's a philosophy where, you know, people really, as people really grasp it, uh, they can, you know, look at the world differently as an environment to go out and and help and serve people, uh, but then also not feel, um, you know, guilty for the remuneration. You know, I love that you said serve because in my mind the ideal business is is one in which you're not just hustling people for money. You you provide value. And you are serving them because you can do it cheaper, quicker, better. You're, you've specialized, right? And you're, you're helping that person. They're compensating you because they value what you are providing to them. And I think that's kind of where the Ayn Rand stuff comes in is too often in our society, business uh, changes from a form of service to a form of slavery, right? Yeah. Where people are compelled to subsidize other people who are not working. And we're going to live off of the spoils of what you guys are doing and, and, and feeling entitled to what these corporations are doing and, and, uh, you know, that's, that's, I think, the danger. To the extent that the free market is allowed to operate, people are allowed to go around serving, helping one another, win-win-win situations. That's how we achieve prosperity. It's how we achieve peace. Uh, the antithesis of that, I think, is what we saw in Atlas Shrugged. It's what we see in the simplified version and, and the Tuttle Twins and the Search for Atlas. And unfortunately, I think it's what we so often see in our society today. It was a very prescient novel that she wrote you know, I, uh, there's, I have criticisms of it, but overall, it's a legitimate work that I think someone has to confront and chew through and, and try and grapple with and understand. 
And I think, unfortunately, too often we see echoes in our day of the things that she wrote about then. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. We definitely have to have another conversation about about that book because uh, it's one. It's something I love. I mean, there's not very many people that have actually read it or understand the underlying <laughs> underlying principles of it. So it's like, I, you know, it, but I would I would say, and I'll, I'll say this as a final point, and then I'll let you have the last word. Um, so I was at a I was at a conference. It was a uh, kind of a, a charity thing that that we do every year in Denver. And uh, one of the, it was a business meeting like the day, the day before. And uh, in the business meeting, they were talking about uh, the, some of the, the AR augmented reality type of technology that's coming out. And, and not to say this is the, you know, should be the intention around it, but it's interesting to see how the marketplace has come up with the solution. But right now, I mean, you, everyone has, you know, with, for those that use Uber, like you have a score, like you, you know, the Uber driver rates you, you know, right. after, you know, after, uh, after your ride, uh, just like you rate them. And, uh, and they were basically talking about how there are technologies coming out where, you know, people just walking down the street, uh, people, businesses, everything will have their rating. Uh, and it's one of those things where it's, uh, it's not to say that, you know, you, uh, you want to do this without a rating, but it's interesting to see how the marketplace has created an environment where people will be accountable to, you know, how they treat other people, how they serve other people. Uh, are they doing well? Uh, do they have a good reputation? And, uh, and that's what I would say is, uh, is interesting to see, you know, those moochers and looters and those that, you know, exploit, uh, they, you know, they're not gonna be able to get away with it as much as, uh, you know, as they have in the, in the past, because there has been a lot of that in all aspects of, of society. But, you know, I, I would say it's interesting to see kind of how you know, a lot of the principles around contribution, a lot of principles around service and doing well for, uh, for the, the patrons that you have uh, is, uh, you know, is, is demanded by, is demanded by society. So that, I found that pretty interesting, but I'll let you do, the last word. I do find that interesting. And I, I think to a degree, I like this kind of informed consent where you can see people's feedback and rating uh, from other folks before you make a decision. Part of me fears that if we drive too far in that direction or too broadly in all areas of our life, it's going to be like Instagram, right? People are going to do fake things just to, you know, game the system and get more likes and get more points. And so, you know, I, I wonder what a society like that would look at. Look, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to free will, right? I think that was the underlying message of Atlas Shrugged. I think it's the message for our day as well. And to the extent that we can drive in that direction, I think all the better. I think, you know, the better outcomes we'll have. Let me add the second part in closing of the parable that I mentioned earlier of this guy in the orchard. It's been a, at a big, big disadvantage that we're trying to fertilize old trees into good health. My concern in the recent years has been that in any good garden, any good person tending to an orchard is always going to be planting trees that are going to be healthy and grow up well. Mm-hmm. And I think in, in, in our movement too uh, infrequently, do we give attention to the rising generation, to education systems, right? To how, how are these people becoming adults? Why are we waiting until they are already steeped in these problems? I think when we talk about voting and economics and, and financial systems and everything. Education. Are, right. We are a product of this system. And so if we don't tackle that head on, we're going to perpetually play defense. We're going to perpetually be pouring out gallons of fertilizer at a time, hoping that we succeed. And so that's why we're doing the Tuttle Twins. That's why we're trying to distill these ideas down. We got a lot of work to do, but there's also a lot of opportunity. But we're, we're very excited to be playing a small part in you know, bringing up those saplings so that the future looks a lot better. 
Okay, I will say one thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's the Bill Gates quote of, you know, uh, all technology does to an efficient system is make it more efficient. But what technology does to an inefficient system is make it more inefficient. So I would say it's very, you know, very similar where, yeah, you do have old trees that, you know, need to become fertilizer. (laughs) (laughs) In not so many words. (laughs) So, all right, Connor, it was awesome to have you on, man. And uh, thank you so much for, you know, your, your mission and for what you're doing to, you know, really, I mean, serve and give back. And, uh, and best of luck as you go into uh, the building season, the session here in, in Utah, where your uh, nonprofit Libertas uh, does a tremendous amount. So we'll make sure that we post uh, all of your links for those that can learn more about you as well as uh, contribute uh, and uh, in the least uh, purchase one of the, the new books. Excellent. Yeah. People can find it at TuttleTwins.com. Use the coupon 40, F-O-R-T-Y. You'll get 40% off as a thank you to those of you supporting the, the podcast here. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it very much. Okay. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. All right. Bye. You've been listening to the Wealth Standard Radio Show, your gold standard in everything financial. 